I was telling my, um, I do a late night BS on Wednesday night, late night Bible study. Um, anyway, I was telling this past Wednesday night that this Lenten season has been a lot different uh, from anything that I've experienced before. Um, the season of Lent, these weeks leading up to Easter, it's become like a real season over the years for me of soul searching and honestly of like suffering in some respects. Um, like year after year, every time we take this journey to the cross, like I'm reflecting and considering the part that I've played in nailing his hands and his feet to that cross. Uh, thankfully, the journey doesn't end there, right? That's not where the story ends because I'm also reminded throughout the season of grace and mercy and victory as the story takes us to the cross and then from the cross to the empty tomb. But these six weeks, the season, it really is kind of a season sometimes of like great guilt and suffering, inner turmoil that just turns into unspeakable joy in the end. Man, I really love Easter Sunday, right? Like, uh, but I was telling them on Wednesday night that this year has been a lot different. Um, uh, some of you may have heard my father-in-law passed away late Friday night. Um, it was 11.30 p.m. when the nurse made it official, uh, but the actual time was 9.50. Uh, he was in his home, and his family was all around him, and we were praying over him. And many of you have been like right alongside us praying for him and cheering him on in his fight with pancreatic cancer, this like three-year, almost to the day, uh, three-year fight he's had with cancer. Um, so I just wanna thank you all so much for your love, um, for your kindness to our family. Um, it looks like the service will be here on Wednesday morning, um, so we'll announce the details uh, tomorrow once everything's finally ironed out. Um, so this year has just been a lot different. Um, Rather than just my own personal journey, reflecting on my sin and the ways that I've set myself apart from God, um, I watched and, and I held the hand of a man that I dearly love as he walked through his own suffering. Um, my father-in-law to me wasn't a father-in-law, he was father. Um, he loved me when he didn't have to, he loved me in ways that he didn't have to, he offered me grace time and time again. Uh, he demonstrated the love and the way of Jesus to me since I was 15 years old. And he was so good at disciple making. Like he showed me Jesus. He made me the man that I am today, the husband, the father I am today. He did all that. He was so good at disciple making. He did it all and I don't even think he realized he was doing it. <laughs> That's how good he was. So to spend Lent at the side of a man who reflected the life and love of Jesus, even as he suffered, one of the most Christ-like men I've ever known. Like it's been a really unique experience. It's been a holy experience. A painful and terrible and exhausting experience. But a beautiful one. All at the same time. So I'll have more to say about his life, about his hope when we celebrate him uh, this week. I just felt like I needed to get that out before I could say anything else today. <laughs> Um, I'm leading the service on Wednesday, so I just needed kind of a trial run, you know, to see how I do. Um, but I love you all. Um, thank you guys so much um, for who you are, for loving us, for giving me a minute to prepare myself um, so that we can prepare for the story uh, that we're going to read today. Um, so today, I, I don't have quite as much to offer you as I normally would. Um, so what I want to do is I want to read some sections from Mark 14. That's where we are in our series uh, read some sections and then just ask a couple questions. Is that fair? All right, so let's pray. 
God, we are grateful uh, for the life that you give us each and every day. Um, uh, there's old poets that have said that one day of life with those that we love is enough, but you give us day after day after day. So uh, we pray that um, we remember that and be grateful for each one. Uh, that we would remember to tell the people that we love uh, how much we love them when we have the chance. We wouldn't take the days we have together for granted. And that we wouldn't take the opportunities each day that we have for granted to tell the world and to tell others just how much you love them. As great and as deep as our love is for one another, like it just pales in comparison uh, to your love for us and your love for a lost world. And you've given us the task of telling them all about it. So uh, help us to not waste any time. Not to take this life we have and not waste it. Uh, so be with us this morning as, as we read the scriptures, as the gospel's proclaimed. Uh, help us that we see your truth in it that we learn from it how to go from this place and be the people you called us to be. So open our minds, our eyes, our ears, and our hearts that we can receive it, put our hands and our feet and our mouths to work when we leave here today. And we pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. So I'm gonna be reading from Mark 14. Feel free to follow along or just listen along. I'm reading the New Living Translation. When we read long passages, I like to read from that translation. It's just easier to read. Uh, so it says this, Mark 14, starting in verse one. It was now two days before Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law were still looking for an opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and kill him, but not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, because the people might riot. Now, meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who previously had leprosy. And while he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. And she broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Some at the table were indignant. Why waste such an expensive perfume, they asked. That could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they scolded her harshly. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you and you can help them whenever you want to, but you will not always have me. She's done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. So I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. And then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priests to arrange to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted when they heard why he had come and they promised to give him money. So he began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. So the more familiar I get with the Gospel of Mark, the more I realize what a brilliant editor the, the author was. Mark's Gospel, it's the eyewitness account of the disciple Peter. That's widely accepted among biblical scholars. We know from the book of Acts that Mark was a follower of Jesus who traveled with the apostle Paul. Apparently, we don't know exactly what happened. Maybe Mark talked a lot, was a little bit annoying, but he and Paul had some sort of falling out, some sort of parting of ways. Paul said, I can't be with him any longer. So Mark then became a coworker for the gospel alongside Peter. 
spent the rest of his ministry with Peter. Mark's gospel, as he records it, is the eyewitness account of Peter, the disciple. And I want you to keep that in mind for later, okay? But the more familiar I get with his gospel as I read the way Mark presents the gospel, as I think about him editing together Peter's stories, I can't help but think about Star Wars. (laughs) There's a reason. Uh, In the movies, uh, if you're familiar, there are always multiple stories happening at the same time. There's two or three different things happening in different parts of the galaxy all at the same exact time. So to tell that story, George Lucas came up with these famous screen swipes. It takes us from one scene to the next. I mean, we could just sit here and watch this all morning if you want. (laughs) I took out the music just so I wouldn't get too emotional. (laughs) But, But that's exactly what's happening as we read the text. Like the scene that I just read, it starts with the religious leaders plotting to arrest Jesus. Yeah, you can get rid of it, Noah. Sorry, thanks. Um, uh, (laughs) The scene starts uh, with the religious leaders plotting uh, to arrest Jesus. And then there's a swipe of the screen and it says that meanwhile, so while that's happening, Jesus is sitting in the home of a man named Simon and he's anointed with oil. There's a bit of a debate that goes on, but then the scene swipes again. And we find that one of Jesus' own disciples is plotting with those religious leaders, getting ready to betray his master, setting up a later scene, which is Jesus' arrest and trial and crucifixion. But notice what happens in the middle. You have this woman with this jar of oil. Now Jesus tells us, tells his disciples what she's doing, that she's preparing his body for burial. I still don't think at this point anybody in the room understood what he meant. Like, I'm sure that they thought that's, that's just Jesus being mysterious and cryptic again. <laughs> like, always speaking in parables, right? Like, not anymore, though. He doesn't speak in parables anymore. Like, I don't know if that woman was aware that what she was doing, that she was preparing his body for burial. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe she did. But I do know that she at least had something else in mind as she poured that expensive oil over his head. If you go back in the Old Testament to 1 Samuel 16, King David is crowned king, but he is first anointed with oil. A king is anointed before he's crowned. Like she may have been preparing his body for burial, but she was also anointing her king as he was getting ready to take his throne. His his throne just happened to be in the shape of a Roman cross. This unnamed woman, this follower of Jesus, she knows that he is both savior and king. The question is, do you? That seems like a simple question, but think about it. Do you know him? Do you recognize him both as the savior of your soul and as the king sitting on the throne, as the Lord of your life? not just for after this life, but right now. If he's not, if you can't make that same confession that that woman made by pouring oil over his head, then I encourage you to keep listening for the gospel. I'm gonna keep reading. This is uh, verse 12. The scene swipes again. It says this, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is to be sacrificed, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go to prepare the Passover meal for you? 
Now the text goes on, Jesus gives his disciples some instructions and then skipping to verse 17, it says, in the evening Jesus arrived with the 12. As they were at the table eating, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, one of you eating with me here will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, am I the one? And he replied, it is one of you 12 who's eating from this bowl with me. For the son of man must die as the scriptures declared long ago, but how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It'd be far better for that man if he had never been born. Um, A couple chapters ago, we talked about Jesus' entry into Jerusalem and he had made the preparations for that in the same way. He had already made preparations for this Passover meal. His disciples followed the instruction. They sit down to enjoy this meal together. But as they sit and celebrate this really important feast, like this is a meal that retells a story as you eat it. It retells the story of God delivering his people from slavery, of God making a way for them into the promised land. As they're having this meal, Jesus explains to them that the part they're gonna play in the coming story is gonna involve abandonment, denial, and betrayal. Like as God is now preparing to deliver his people, not from slavery in Egypt, but from slavery to sin and evil. And as God is now preparing to make the way clear for his people, not just to enter into a promised land, but to enter into God's own kingdom, Jesus explains to his closest followers that that road is paved with betrayal by those who were closest to him. Now, after they celebrate the Passover meal together, he has what we call today the Lord's Supper. And then the scene swipes again. And Jesus again returns to this topic of betrayal. But this time, the camera begins to focus. And it focuses in on one disciple in particular. But it might not be the one you're thinking about. Like, remember, Mark's gospel is the eyewitness account of which disciple? Of Peter. Verse 27, on the way, Jesus told them, all of you will desert me, for the scriptures say God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet with you there. And I I just want you to remember that phrase. I'll go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter said to him, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter declared emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the others vowed the same thing. Now listen, I think Peter was absolutely convinced. There's no way that he would deny Jesus. Like after all he's seen and been through, Three years walking in the footsteps of his master, there was just no way. Could you imagine hearing that? It is so easy to underestimate just how broken we really are. Peter had no idea what he was about to do. So Jesus takes Peter and then two brothers, James and John, takes them with him into the garden so that he could pray. And as the story continues, suffering, betrayal, conflict, and arrest. We're going to talk about all that more during Holy Week. But now I want to skip and I want to read starting in verse 53 because the screen swipes back. This time it swipes back and forth. 
Because this section that I'm about to read, what you're about to hear is two different trials that are going on at the exact same time. So this starts in verse 53. It says, they took Jesus to the high priest's home where the leading priests, the elders and teachers of the law had gathered. Meanwhile, Peter followed at a distance and went right into the high priest's courtyard. And there he sat with the guards, warming himself by the fire. Swipe again. Now inside, the leading priest and the entire high, high council were trying to find evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they couldn't find any. Many false witnesses spoke against Jesus, but they contradicted each other. Finally, some men stood up and gave this false testimony. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another one made without human hands. But even they didn't get their story straight. So then the high priest stood up before the others and asked Jesus, well, aren't you gonna answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus was silent and made no reply. Then the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, why do we need any other witnesses? You have all heard this blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they all cried. He deserves to die. And then some of them began to spit at him and they blindfolded him and beat him with their fists. Prophesy to us as they jeered. And the guards slapped him as they took him away. Meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard below. Okay, really quick. It says he was in the courtyard below. What does that tell us? It's, a, it's, it's insignificant, kind of. It tells us that the trial of Jesus took place above, like it was in a second. That's an insignificant detail to the story. Do you know what that means? Insignificant details? Those are clues of eyewitness reports. When they tell you things that don't matter because they're just remembering what happened. Peter was in the courtyard below. One of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by and noticed Peter warming himself by the fire. She looked at him closely and said, you were one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. But Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And he went out into the entryway. And just then a rooster crowed. And when the servant girl saw him standing there, she began telling the others, this man is definitely one of them. But Peter denied it again. A little later, some of the other bystanders confronted Peter and said, you must be one of them because you're a Galilean. And Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I do not know this man that you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter broke down and wept. Mark's gospel is the eyewitness account of which disciple? Like the man who was the first to declare that Jesus is the Messiah back in chapter eight now stands in denial, now declaring that he doesn't even know who Jesus is. 
And can you imagine if your greatest failure was recorded not only in history, but in scripture? And we read this year after year and look, you can judge them all you want, but what would you have done? Maybe some of you have had this opportunity before and you walked away, like given the opportunity to tell someone, given the opportunity to tell someone who Jesus is and what he's done, like what will you do? Maybe not outright deny him and reject him, but do you just walk away without taking the opportunity? You see, this is how we know that Mark's gospel is Peter's own eyewitness account. Y'all, Peter was so revered in the history of the church. Like the man we just read about, this is the same man who later carried his own cross, who died a terrible death because of years and years of faithful witness to the person of Jesus and the gospel, literally building the church, the reason we're here today. He was so revered, so honored in the early church that nobody would have remembered him this way. Y'all, nobody else was there. It said he went by himself. No one remembered Peter this way. Nobody would have told Peter's story this way. No one except for Peter. (laughs) When Mark tells us that Peter wept, he uses a particular verb tense. It's a kind of verb that doesn't end. It's a continuous action verb. Like like you might be running, but eventually you're gonna stop, right? Well, your refrigerator is running. You know what I mean? Like, it's the same word, but used two different ways. The Greek has a tense for that. That's how Mark's gospel ends Peter's story. Continual weeping without ceasing. His final words, I don't know this man. Those are the last words that are spoken by Jesus' disciples in the gospel of Mark. That's how the gospel of Mark ends Peter's story. Almost. (laughs) Like, I want to show you this. It's subtle. It is so powerful. Of all the things that I've had to say today, this might be the one thing that makes me break down in tears. Um, Skipping ahead to the resurrection for a minute, a group of women approaches the tomb. They find a surprise waiting for them inside. Mark 16 says this, when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in white sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified, he isn't here, he's risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee and you will see him there. Mark's gospel is more than Peter's eyewitness account. It's Peter's confession. It's Peter's confession that just like you and me, he's a broken sinner in need of grace. It's Peter's confession that Jesus is Messiah. Peter's confession that Jesus is Savior and that Jesus is King. There's a lot more to say about all this, about his trial. It's just a mockery of any legal system. We're gonna talk about that more next week. Uh, But for today, I just wanna end, I wanna ask you two questions. And like, I'll warn you ahead of time, like these are loaded, they're heavy questions. 
They require real reflection, real wrestling. They're not rhetorical questions. They're direct, but, but you know, don't answer out loud. But I want you to take time over these last two weeks of Lent and reflect and ask yourself these questions. Is Jesus the savior of my soul? Is Jesus also the Lord of my life? Y'all, it's not one or the other. This is not an and or situation. This is both and. Like you've heard me talk about Dallas Willard's famous phrase. He calls it vampire Christianity. He says that we are happy to take the blood of Jesus if it'll save us from the fires of hell, but we're not quite ready to give him lordship over the way that we spend our days and nights. We will make him savior of our souls so that we go to heaven when we die, but we're not ready to make him king of this life. Like maybe you've heard the gospel like for years. Maybe you recognize that you're a sinner in need of grace. Maybe you've accepted the truth that Jesus died the death you deserve to die in your place and that through his resurrection, you will be restored in glory and united with God in his kingdom forever. Like maybe you're right there with that woman, you're anointing Jesus for his burial because that's the way that you'll find eternal life. But are you also there with her anointing him as king? Like are you willing to set aside your agenda and the kingdom that you are building, your ego, your way, are you ready to replace it with his good and perfect will? Not just for after life, but for eternal life, which begins the second you confess that Jesus is both Lord and Savior. Is Jesus the Savior of your soul and the Lord of your life? You have a decision to make. It's not either or, it's both and. The question is, what will you do? I was asking my father-in-law, well, I mean, if you come to the service, you'll hear. I was asking him, like, one of the last conversations we had, we were talking about his career. He was a principal at Aldine High School for years. Uh, when Aldine High School was, like, up against Odessa Permian in the national championship, or the state championship, every single year. Um, and I asked him about that, and he said he never wanted to be in administration. He never wanted to be a principal. He said he wanted to be a teacher. And he found that when he was a teacher, he could really make a difference in a few kids' lives. And then when he became a counselor, he realized that he could, he could actually, he could really make a difference in like more kids' lives. And then he realized that when he became principal, like he could make a real difference in a lot of kids' lives. Like he went on after he retired to write grants for the district, really improving and changing that district on the whole. But he didn't want to do any of that. But he set his agenda aside and he did what he was called to do because it was for the greater good. It impacted so many people. Are you willing to set your agenda aside and let Jesus be Lord of this life? What will you do? The second question is will you tell the truth about who he is and what he's done when you're sitting by the fire and when you're put on trial by the world around you? The Greek word for witness is the word martyrios. It's where we get our word martyr. Sometimes at the risk of the life you've built, your reputation, others' opinions of you, will you tell the truth about who he is and what he's done when you are put on trial, when you're facing the fire, or, or just when you're sitting face to face with a friend over coffee, or when you're sitting at the bedside of somebody who's sick and dying. 
when you're the one who's sick, will you tell everybody who he is and what he's done? When given the opportunity to confess that Jesus is both Savior and Lord, what will you do? If he is truly our Savior and Lord, and if we are now filled with the Holy Spirit, with his own Spirit, then how can we not be ready and willing and able to tell the world? Like he is so good, how can we not? Peter eventually received that Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and everything changed. He went from being afraid to being bold all the way to his own death. If we are filled with the spirit and if he is both Lord and Savior, how can we not? How can we not tell people how much we are loved and how much they are loved by him as well? All right, one last thing. I wanna always give you something to do later on today. So uh, one last thing, just to wrap this story up. Uh, Go home today and I want you to read from a different gospel. I want you to read John chapter 21. Go home and read it this afternoon and you're gonna notice something beautiful. In that chapter, the resurrected Christ appears to his disciples one last time. And the story turns the lens, it takes the camera and it focuses in on one disciple again. It's Peter again, but this time it's from John's perspective. And in that story, Jesus gives Peter three opportunities to redeem his denial, to confess his love for Jesus, and he does. On the spot, Jesus puts him in charge of the coming church, of his body on earth. And guess where Jesus meets him? He meets him by a fire. And he does it as they're preparing a meal together. All of Mark 14 is on display in that scene where Peter is restored, where he is made whole again. Jesus is so good. How can we not worship him as savior, crown him as king, and tell the good news to everybody who will listen? Amen? Let's pray. God, lead us, guide us, direct us. Take us from this place of brokenness, sometimes unfaithfulness, weakness, maybe even cowardice, and give us courage and strength and lead us to the place where we are your faithful witnesses each and every day in our own lives that we would proclaim you our Savior and King and that we would just be so excited about it that we just couldn't shut up. Give us the words we need and the courage to say it. We pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said.